I was going to begin this message inviting you to think of the first time that you experienced grief over the loss of a loved one. I was going to share my first experience with grief several years ago. But all that changed on Friday. With those events, our community was rocked by something many of us thought could never happen in Noblesville. A school shooting at a place many of us drive by several times. By a student our children know. A teacher and another student that are neighbors to some in our congregation. Children in our youth group who heard were rocked by those sounds of gunfire in their school. It will take much healing to go back into those classrooms again. So in a way, we as a community are having our own unique grief experience right now. Because we've lost something. There was an innocence to our community. If you grew up in Noblesville, then you thought that something like this could never happen in our small town. Many of us moved here because we were looking for a community that offered a safe and beautiful environment that's not a victim to the crime that we see so often on our news. A school shooting something that always happens elsewhere, not here. But now it's happened here, and our lives are changed forever. We will feel less secure and more suspicious, and if we allow it, this experience could isolate us from one another. It means we need to integrate this experience and now join the rest of the country in serious contemplation and debate on what will make our schools and our children safe. Now tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's American holiday. It's a time to remember the men and women who have given their lives while serving in the U.S. military. It originated as Decoration Day. And I believe there is something to be learned by us today when we examine its origin. You see, the Civil War had just ended in the spring of 1865. It had claimed 620,000 lives, 2% of the American population at that time. If you count those injured, all the casualties would amount to 5% of the population. The war required the establishment of the country's first national cemeteries. And so by the late 1860s, already in various towns throughout America and cities, they were holding springtime tributes to these fallen soldiers, decorating their graves with flowers, and reciting prayers. On May 5th, 1868, General John A. Logan, leader of an organization for Northern Civil War veterans, called for a nationwide day of remembrance later that month. This is his quote. The 30th of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. The, day of decoration, the date of Decoration Day, as he called it, was chosen because it wasn't the anniversary of any particular battle. So the focus would not be on who won or who lost, but on the lives that were given. On the first Decoration Day, General James Garfield, later to become president, made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery. 5,000 people participated in decorating the graves of the 20,000 Union and Confederate soldiers buried there. 
The intent was to bring healing to a nation that had been so divided and had lost so much. You see, Memorial Day was inspired by the desire to turn the grief of the Civil War into a time of healing. In light of that, I hope this holiday will now be even more meaningful to you. I hope it'll still be a time that we remember those who have made that ultimate sacrifice. I hope it'll continue to be a time where we remember our loved ones that have influenced our lives. And after what has happened to our community, I'm sure your Memorial Day weekend and holiday is going to be a little different, maybe from now on. You now have specific people to pray for. There's a healing that must take place with students, teachers, administration, in our community. It's a time to celebrate how preparations paid off, where heroism was displayed, where first responders kept this tragedy from becoming worse. And we'll look forward to the time when we need to buckle down and find meaningful solutions to this horrible epidemic in our country. In all these circumstances, the most important thing is to know that God is with us in our grief. Let's draw upon the wisdom that Pastor Dick just shared with you in these two short verses. If you look at Psalm 34, you'll discover that it's an acrostic psalm, which, which means that, like an acrostic poem, they took the Hebrew alphabet and used the successive Hebrew letter to start each line, each stanza. So, in other words, they, if you were writing a poem in English, you would start the first line with some word that began with the letter A, and then the second line would be something that begins with the letter B, and then C, and D, on down, which tells you how much thought went into this psalm. This psalm is a testimony of one person's troubled experience. It is a proclamation of God's help in those times and invites us to praise. It's full of teaching that seeks to establish some kind of order and coherence out of the seeming disconnectedness of life. So I invite you to read that psalm sometime, but even just this single verse gives us a lot to chew on. This verse was written for those who have had their hearts broken. There's a recognition that at some time in our lives, life is going to take something or someone away from us. It's just a given. It will happen. It also seems to know and understand the depth that that pain can reach. It refers to those who are crushed. Have you ever been crushed? Have you known someone who's been crushed? We may be spared of it, but we all usually know somebody. The psalmist suggests that the measure of the help God provides is in proportion to the need at hand. God will be near those who are brokenhearted, but those who are crushed will be saved. In each case, the promise is that we will not be spared of life's troubles or that our problems will magically go away. But the Hebrew word here that's used to be translated for the word saved means to set free or to be made safe. It seems to understand that, that whatever the crushing that we've experienced, the damage has been done, but it will not be allowed to go on forever. God will reign supreme in time. And the Hebrew word for near suggests that God is in close proximity to the person who is suffering. 
Again, the grief will not be taken away, but the presence of God with us strengthens us and emboldens us to endure that experience. And isn't that how God comes to us in our times of grief? If you've had one of those losses and you've been in that funeral home, you know how much it means when people just show up. It's not what they say that matters. It's just the fact that they came and are there for you. Brings so much understanding. It tells us that life will go on and people will be there for us. There's signs of God's presence. The loss is there, but you'll be strengthened to do the work necessary to move on from that loss. I'll never forget an act of love in my life. Several years ago when I was in seminary, living in Marion, Ohio, and we had lost my wife's father. Actually, he had died right in front of us. It was quite a shock for our early experience of grief. The funeral was held back in Mooresville, Indiana. And we were preparing to start the funeral when in walked Jerry and Donna Peters. He was the lead pastor of the church that I was serving as a student pastor. He and his wife came, drove four hours to attend that funeral. They had activities at the church that evening, so they stayed for the funeral, got up and drove four hours back. Eight hours just to say that they're there for us. And what a help that was. To have somebody from back home where our life was taking place back then to come and experience that loss with us was incredibly powerful. And you know, there's a good reason for that because several years before, they had tragically lost a son who was walking home from school and a storm came up, struck a tree, and a branch fell on their son and killed him instantly. They knew that pain and they knew how much it helped when people were there for them. Presence. God's nearness is experienced when we're there for one another. That presence is priceless. And if you were around here or at the high school or at the middle school this past Friday, you know the value of that presence. Our church staff gathered here at the church and opened up the vine, sent an email out to parents, families, and students that we were here if they needed to show up, and certainly some did. A couple of our staff walked the grounds where so many parents were, and, and I don't know if you saw that scene, but it was pretty amazing. It must have been like 2,000 cars parked every parking lot that the school had. They were in our parking lots and every piece of lawn just so they could be as close to their student as they could until they could be released. That nearness is powerful. Our preschool teachers expressed it. We really didn't do much. They went down on lockdown as the school did, which is our policy. But because we had staff here that helped assist them as the students were finally picked up by their parents, they thanked us for just being there. And then this verse from the Beatitudes. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in two weeks when we share the Beatitudes. But I need to make a point here that I think is valuable for us as we think about what's happened to us this weekend. You see, the reality is that this isn't true. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's not, not, it's just not true if life is left to its natural circumstances. There's plenty of instances where the mourn are not blessed. There's plenty of times where the meek do not inherit the earth. 
and that those who long for justice will go to their grave without it being received. It's not something that just naturally happens. What Jesus is saying in this verse and all the rest of the Beatitudes is that I have come to establish the kingdom and create a different community. Join me in that. And because of what God is doing through his son, and as we join him in that, then that new reality can occur. Then those who mourn will be blessed. You see, Jesus understood very well that the circumstances the average Jew lived in in Galilee was not very pleasant. There was a big gap between rich and poor. The oppressive rule of the Roman authorities was something difficult to live under. Taxation, you think our taxes are bad. You should have seen what they had to deal with. They had a weak existence, and Jesus knew that soon as his followers began to go out and share the good news that they would be persecuted. As they tried to live to that higher calling, they would be challenged. And so he offered the promise that you will mourn, but God will bless. Along with that mourning comes God's blessing. He was creating a community that would bring about the best in one another and impact the world in which they lived. As we'll see in this summer worship series, when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raises the bar for how we should live in the community we're called to create. And I believe God is still doing this. God still blesses those who mourn. He blesses those who intentionally come together to create that new reality. We see it in our grief share ministry. Just witnessed it a few weeks ago. I mentioned going to the closing worship of grief share. People who've come together and willingly faced that difficult mystery of death and the loss that they've experienced. And after weeks of sharing their stories with one another and their pain and their worries, there was such a special spirit that day because they've been strengthened for one another. They've experienced in a little way the kingdom of God. What I'm saying is that God's blessings come when we actively and intentionally live into the community that Jesus created when he came on earth and calls us to kingdom living. And we will need to do the same here in Noblesville as we move forward from this tragedy. We cannot let this experience come and go. It is an opportunity for God to bring us together and not just survive the pain it brings, but to creatively make the future better for our community and hopefully for other communities. The message for us to take with us today is that no matter what struggles and losses we have experienced in life, God is still there. Hang on to the promises that are shared in our scriptures today. God is near to the brokenhearted. He does save those who are crushed, and God blesses those who are forced to mourn. And look for those signs where God is at work. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not so obvious. Sometimes God's support is found through other people who just keep showing up. Sometimes it's discovered in subtle ways through those little coincidences where God's presence is made known. I had lunch with Greg Sexton this week. And I tell you, if any of you are traumatized by what's happened this weekend, you need to spend some time with Greg. He's been through a lot. He's experienced post-traumatic stress syndrome. He's experienced traumatic brain injury. And it wasn't easy to come through that. And he'll tell you that he came through it because of the support of his family, a wife who was there for him. 
came through it because he had a safe place to verbalize. He talked about how it was so much easier at first, especially when he could talk with other veterans who knew that experience. But now, with that help and the help of God's grace, he can talk about it with just about anybody now. I asked him, how did God help you through this experience? And he relayed that even right after the accident, when he couldn't sleep for three nights in a row, his brain could not settle down, and any time he did start to fall asleep, the trauma of that event would just pop right to his mind. And finally, he opened up his Bible, and it just happened to turn to Psalm 23. It was just what he needed at that moment. What I'm saying is, look for the signs of God's presence. It'll help you know that God is not alone. Let me close with a little miracle that I felt God blessed our family with. In 2009, my father passed away. He had a previous bout with colon cancer and had an operation section taken out and had an ostomy that he lived with for several years. And then the cancer came back. And the doctor told us this time, he's not going to recover from this. He's got about six months to live. So very quickly, my brother and sister and I, we got our heads together and decided it's time to do the bucket list. So one month in, we rented a van. We got Dad's motorized, it, it could take his motorized wheelchair. And we trekked out to western Missouri so he could visit one last time his family farm and the hometown that he grew up in. And we got out there. Dad was doing great. We visited the high school he went to, found a cousin that he hadn't talked to for several years. And then we came to the home of the family, Danny and Helen Tate, just a wonderful Christian family who have farmed our farm ever since. And they invited us to come stay with them a couple nights. And we were eating dinner in their home. And Dad excused himself. He wasn't feeling too well. He went and laid down. We finished our meal. My brother went into the room and said, Jerry, you better come in here. Dad had slipped into a coma. He was not doing well. And remember, we're out in remote western Missouri. There's not, the nearest hospital is 25 miles away. We did get a hospice nurse finally to show up, and she confirmed what we pretty much knew ourselves, that Dad was actively dying. Wow. And what a blessing. Helen Tate came in and said, you don't need to move your dad. Just keep him right here. There's no better place for him to pass his remaining hours. And so he lasted not quite 24 hours. And we thought, what a blessing that this has happened now. Now, some told me that, well, that's your dad. He wanted to die at home. And I said, no, you don't know my dad. He's too stubborn to die. He, he still didn't believe he was going to die. I think... That timing happened because God knew that we needed that. And I felt that blessing in the most amazing way. If you know western Missouri, it's got kind of gentle rolling hills. And I went outside to go find some kind of signal for my cell phone. There was like only one spot you could stand on their property to get the signal so I could call Nancy and let her know what was happening. And when I got to that spot, I looked around, and to my left, I could see... Our family's homesteaded farm, the house that my dad was born in. I swing over to slightly to the right. I'd see the one-room schoolhouse that dad went to school all his elementary years. And then just a little bit further to the right, on the highest 
hill there is in the area is the Plymouth Cemetery where dad would be buried. And I felt God's peace like you wouldn't believe. And all the things that were never quite right in my relationship with my dad, they were just laid to rest right there. And I felt God saying, I've got this. This is under control. And how wonderful that all three of us were right there together in that moment. Well, that little miracle was our blessing. I just want you to know that God's with you. God's with us as a community right now. And let us be united by that experience so that good things can come. Let's pray. Lord, we do believe that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you do save those who are crushed, and blessed are those who mourn as we turn our hearts and minds to you and your kingdom. May you do the same for our community as we continue to grow and heal from this. Amen.